Mummy Talk. This is episode 30. Hey and welcome to episode 30 of Let Mummy Talk. My name is Lanique. If you're new here, welcome. Grab a cuppa and chill out. If you're returning, welcome back. This podcast is all about parenthood, lifestyle, love, relationships and culture, of course. You know, I'm black, so we're going to have some culture. And of course, uh, most importantly, in my opinion, it's health and it's both mental and physical health. So the aim of Let Mummy Talk is to help you better navigate life and parenthood and remind you that happiness and self-love is paramount. Each episode, we dissect a new topic and we break it down. I think it one time, sometimes with a professional and sometimes not. But either way, it's always a good quality show. Let Mummy Talk. So today's show is a juicy one, as per, I say that every week. We're talking about being a carer and what that actually means. When are you a carer and not just a parent? What do you do and who do you turn to when you're slowly cracking under the pressure? Uh, There's a lot to unpack, so let me tell you a little bit of the backstory. Listen up, this bit's important. So for those who don't know, I'm a mummy, hence the reason let mummy talk, because I'm the mummy who needs to talk. (laughs) I have two young children. My son is seven, my daughter is five. And at the tender age of four and a half, my son was given an ASD diagnosis. And for those who are like, huh, AS what? A bit baffled by that. ASD is autism spectrum disorder. So from even before the official diagnosis, there were many bumps, many, many bumps in the road trying to parent him. And um, we just didn't understand what autism was. We just knew that it was something that made our boy quote unquote different. And in some senses pushed our parenting abilities to the absolute limit. So after recognizing that no one was gonna do the hard work for me, I fully like literally fully immersed myself into his world to try and understand more about ASD, the struggles he faces because of it, and most importantly, how to parent him without losing my sheet and screaming like a mad woman. Because trust me, I was close at times. In fact, I lie, I, I was there at times. I was that woman. So I attended courses online and in real life. Uh, I did a ton of reading, um, articles and a couple of books as well. I watched shows, the most notable ones for me, my favorites were The Good Doctor and Atypical on Netflix. I just think, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Atypical, absolutely recommend it. I just wanted to support and be patient with him and not penalize him for behaviors that maybe he couldn't even control. So for me, it was about skilling up, making myself fully aware and knowledgeable on what was going on but even with all of these resources a bag of enthusiasm and positivity and my husband my mum and my amazing sister to lean on there were times when I genuinely almost crumbled the weight of being a carer can be a pretty heavy load and if you're doing it alone well take breaks is all I can really say to you parenthood is exhausting anyway but double that exhaustion when your role is a carer as well as a parent So I guess the next question is, what even is a carer? A carer is anyone, including children and adults, who looks after a family member, partner or friend who needs help because of their illness, frailty, disability, a mental health problem or an addiction and cannot cope without the support. The care they give is unpaid. So an important thing to note here is many carers don't see themselves as carers and it takes them an average of around two years to acknowledge their role as a carer. 
I was that person who didn't consider myself a carer. I'm like, I'm just a mum. I'm, I'm, I'm his mum. I'm not a carer. Like, I'm a mum. A carer is someone who, you know, looks after somebody who's old and frail and can't, I don't know, wash and clean themselves. But essentially, it all falls under the bracket of carer, as I just read out in the, uh, in the definition. And it's quite difficult for carers to see their role as separate from the relationship they have with the person they're caring for. So, for example, whether it's, you know, your parent, your child, whatever, it's very different because it's like, well, that's just you know, my son, I'm not a carer, but you technically are. So that leads me neatly onto today's guest. Today's guest is a very special one. I mean, they're all special. That's why they're on this podcast. But today's guest, she's local. She's from Croydon in South London. Zup, zup, zup. And she works for the Carer Information Service. And she's an advice worker providing free information, advice and support to Croydon parents and carers. And her specialism is EHCPs. If you don't know what that is, keep listening. So we're going to jump straight into it now. Here's my chat with Astrid Maccabee, advice worker from the Carer Information Service in Croydon. Astrid, welcome to Let Mummy Talk podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I first came to, I guess, know you when I was referred to your service. Then I obviously reached out to you because I was struggling a little bit with my son's school and all that. And that is how we connected. So I thought I wanted to get you on the podcast because I have a lot of parents who listen to Let Mummy Talk who um, are going through similar situations, really, where they've got a child with needs or maybe they think they've got needs and they are trying to, I'll say, navigate the system, which... it can be quite overwhelming Astrid so I wanted to kind of have a chat with you because I think you're incredibly helpful you're incredibly knowledgeable and just talking to you when we had our first conversation I did find it really reassuring as well as informative so I wanted to kind of share your knowledge with the let mummy talk listeners if that's okay the first question I want to ask you Astrid is so you're from a company called or an organization called the carers information service so can you explain for the listeners what does the carers information service do and does every bearer have one basically. Okay, so the Cares Information Service is is a service that provides information, advice, and support to unpaid carers who lives, work, or care for someone who lives in a borough of Croydon. So if you are an unpaid carer, which is whether you care for someone um, like a child or uh, an adult with a disability or an illness, you are considered as a as an unpaid carer. So we are there to provide information and support on any, any type of query you may have, queries that are in relation to your caring role. Going back to that original point about carers and the fact we are, I say we, because those who don't know, I have a child, a son who's seven years old and he has additional needs. He has autism. Now, the reason I'm making a point about this title of carers is because, believe it or not, I didn't know I was a carer. It wasn't until I went to, um, I went to some autism training just to kind of understand what autism is and how I can support my child and then someone said something about oh uh you know when you're a carer blah 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 and I was like oh I literally thought that doesn't include me and at the end she said something like you know have you spoken to the carer's service I said yeah but it's not for me I'm a parent and she's like yeah but you're caring for a child with additional needs you're a carer so that in itself yeah. do you find that's a struggle many people have it kind of accepting that they are a carer? yeah exactly definitely and I like, know I'm not a carer because I think there is that I don't know that association of carer with, I don't know, benefit or carers with is going to impact on something to do with finances. And I explained, that's why I always say, mention the word unpaid carer, because unpaid carer, I mean, that's, I am also an, an unpaid carer. I've got a son with um, autism as well. 
So, yes, so I do find that many, many parents there that like you, like yourself, they don't realise they are a carer. I think you realise it in the amount of work you do, because obviously being a parent of any kind is extremely exhausting. It's very um, full on 24-7. But I think when your child has a disability or additional needs, you do feel it tenfold because the work has increased a lot more. Does every borough have something like what you guys provide for the carers information service? Is that across the whole of London? Is it across the whole of the UK? Yeah, there should be one in every borough. What people can do is just uh, do an internet search and just type, for example, I'm from Croydon, so carer support Croydon, and you should come up with the the details of the similar organisation in your local area. Perfect. And how long have you personally, Astrid, been doing this kind of work, doing the advisory work for the carers information service? And what's the reason you chose to get into it as well? Okay, so I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my son. I've been here for four years with the Carers Information Service. Prior to that, I was working for Family Lives, again, supporting parents' carers, we specifically with the Education Healthcare Plan. At the time, that was in 2014, I joined the team uh, because in 2014, there was a SEN reform, which introduced the EHCP. And before that, it was the statement, wasn't it? Yeah, before that, it was Statement of Educational Needs. So my role back in 2014 was to support parents transitioning between the old and the new system. What I've noticed as well is a lot of people who do this kind of work, a lot of people who work as, I guess, um, additional needs supports in schools or SEND in school, they have a family member who has a disability or has a need, and that has been the reason. There's a lot of heart in it. Would you say that's what made you get into it? Was it because of your son, because of his needs? the support you, I guess, needed at the time, it made you want to do a role like this? Definitely, because I I know what it's like to be let down. So I wanted to be that person not to let down parents. I love that. And there's a story when I first spoke to you, I don't know if you want to share it. If you don't, that's absolutely fine. But a story you told me about um, yourself and about your son and how you were let down and you had to fight, fight, fight to the bitter end to get what you yeah. and more importantly, your son needed in terms of support. I'm happy to share. I I had to go to tribunal, the SCND tribunal, to get to, to get the school my son currently attends. So that's that's an independent special school. And when I say independent, independent means fee paying. So as part of the appeal process, I had to demonstrate that that school was the only one that could cater for my son's needs, uh, as opposed to the one the local authority was offering. How did the two differ? What was it about this particular school that for you met his, would meet his needs in a better way than the other school she visited? Oh, it's because the it's speech and language. So my son has a diagnosis of ASD with associated speech and language. He's got a speech and language impairment. And this school is a specific speech and language independent school. Okay. So you fought through the system. And at the point when you chose to take it, is it first tier tribunal and through the court system from then on? Or how does it work when you, I guess, have to appeal a decision? So when the appeal is um, a battle between two schools, the parents' preference and the local authority offer, then is is for the parents to demonstrate that this school, the school that they want, is the one that can cater for the child's needs. And also demonstrate that the other one, the local authority school, cannot. And in order to do that, 
the parent has to provide evidence from, you know, independent experts, which is what costs, because the the appeal process itself is not, is, uh, there's no cost associated to that. What will cost parents is if you want to get your own independent evidence via a private assessment. What make me win the case is because my, my evidence was strong and they have to back down and they have to offer me what I wanted. I didn't have to go all the way to the hearing. And I think it's incredible and it's testament to your strength as well, because even without going through that whole process, I just know as a parent slash carer, how intense and how, um, I guess, draining it can be to fight for what you need on a basic level for your child. Yeah. So to have to go through the appeals process, I, I commend you, Astrid, because I know it's not easy at all. So navigating the system, this is something we mentioned at the top of the conversation, which is quite complex. Um, what are the steps you advise parents and carers to take to help them to navigate what is undeniably quite an overwhelming and complex system? The first thing I'm thinking is be proactive as a parent, be proactive. By that, I mean, just look for information online. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you should like read pages and pages, but just basic fact sheets. Second thing to do would be to attend any training or webinar that you could do as a parent. There are many free online available, and especially with COVID, many organizations now, they've, they've realized the power of webinar which you can attend in the comfort of your home, which is the format I'm, I'm doing now myself. Since COVID now, everything is online because it's so convenient for parents, carers to just attend at home, you know. Whilst we're on the subject of courses and webinars, is there a place you kind of recommend where people can find, I guess, really good quality um, courses of any kind? So for any listeners who are um, Croydon's residents, I know that the Croydon offer a... An, an e-learning platform of, uh, available to any Croydon resident for free. And it's called the Me Learning, Me Learning platform. And you just need to sign up, create an account, and then you have access to many free courses online. Evan Bright is a good one as well. You can, um, in the search uh, field, you can just type, I don't know, for example, special educational needs or EHCP, and then you will come up with you can also filter by free, and then you can see a lot of webinars taking place online. Since the SEN reform in 2014, there is a legal duty for every local authority to signpost carers to a, an organization for support if they have a child with SEN. In Croydon, that organization is called um, Kids Sendias. This is the, the organization which always will be mentioned in any paperwork that the local authority will send to parents because by law they have to sign post. And also on social media, you've got a lot of organizations that post regular you know, updates. So there is a Special Needs Jungle, a very good source of uh, information. You've got IPSI. IPSI is a nas national charity. It stands for Independent Provider or special education advice. What I like about UC is all about what the law says. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to just repeat those at the end of the podcast for those who are listening who maybe need some support. If someone has, I guess, concerns that their child has a special need or something's different, because sometimes I think that's what it is with a parent. It's just you notice there's something different with your child. Am I right in presuming that if they are under five years old, it's going through 
your doctor and then a pediatrician. And if they're over five, it's done through the school. Is that correct? Yes. So if the child is under five, they will be under the pediatrician team, the community pediatrician. Above five, then this is when they then switch to CAMS, the Children and Mental Health Service. So CAMS is for any children that has not been diagnosed before they were five. After they turn five, they will have to be on a waiting list to be assessed by CAM. And again, as you said, referrals to CAMs usually are made by school because then they see the child every day. On the referral form, they can provide a lot of information. Referral can also be made by GPs, but they will not get as much information as the school will have. So usually it's better to uh, for the CAMs referral to be made by the school because they will know the child, you know, better than the GP. And I know no matter which route you go down, the waiting list can be quite quite intense, basically, quite a lot. Yes, yeah. um, I went down the route of getting a diagnosis before my child started school because I saw quite early on there were different signs there. But for those waiting in the queue at the moment, I guess, to get that referral to have the diagnosis or assessment done, do you know roughly how long the waiting times are at the moment? I'm not sure if that's your area. I've heard parents telling me that it's about... 18 months plus. Some parents have, have been waiting for two years. They're still on the list. So, yeah, that's in Croydon, it's very long, unfortunately. I don't think it's a Croydon issue. I think this is an issue that is affecting everywhere. I just think the services are so underfunded at times that the waiting list to get the referral, which is why a lot of people often go private yeah. as well, because yeah. they don't have that not patience, but they can't afford to wait that long because they need support on hand now. If you have concerns about your child, um, whether it be speech and language, whether it be behavior, cognitive, whatever it might be, and you take those concerns to your child's school and they basically brush them off or say they can't see them, where do you go then? Where do you go then? Okay, so one thing that parents need to understand is that schools have legal duties when it comes to supporting children with SEN. And if I can give one advice for anyone listening is that there are two key documents that you should have a copy of at home if your child has special educational needs and attend a mainstream setting. So that is the the school SEN policy, which you can find on the school website, and the school SEND information report. So those two documents combined will have information of what the school do to support a child, what happens if a parent has concern, what intervention can be put in place. So this is what any parents can um, re- read. And then if they, if they read it, I'm like, oh, I'm not, I don't see that, I don't see that. This is red flag, so you have to go straight to the Senko. The, the Senko in the school is the staff that manages all the children with SEN. And if a child has been identified with SEN in a setting, they should be put on what is called the school SEND register, which is a register that lists all the children with SEN. And the importance of a child being on that register is that the school is then giving uh, what is called the SEN support funding for that child. So each child is given, it's about £6,000 a year for a child. And that money is used to provide additional support. So what is also important to understand is that the majority of children with SEN in a mainstream setting will have their their needs met for the SEN support. But there are some children whose needs 
are a bit complex or where, or when that 6,000 pound funding is not going to stretch enough to meet their, their need. So that's when I'm, I'm a bit uh, going uh, a bit forward to EHCP. No, go ahead. It's good. It's good. That's when an, an application for an EHCP would be more likely because with an EHCP, then there's more funding given to the child. I'm just going to interject here just to really lay it out in layman's terms. So every school has a remit to teach a child and offer the same support for the whole class. And that's what I guess in my son's school, they call whole class support. Now, if your child has any needs that have been recognized, but maybe aren't formally diagnosed, I guess, in some settings, Mm -hmm. they would then be on an SEND register, which is what my son was on initially. They made a mistake. It should have been, you know, we should have been recognised, but they put them on the register initially, and that's it. So on that register, any child on that register receives support up to £6,000. Is that correct? Yeah, sometimes it can be over £6,000. but And with that £6,000, yeah. what kind of additional measures should the school be putting in place to support that child? It depends on the child's needs, really. They could um, uh, arrange for uh, an assessment from a educational psychologist, for example, if they want to have uh, more information about a child's cognitive abilities or same thing, for, they could arrange for a speech and language therapy assessment. They could arrange for social group. It, it all depends really on the child's needs. So, yeah, it's tailor-made based on the child's needs. That money is there to be used on a child. Do they have evidence that, Astrid? Do the schools have to evidence what they're spending that 6000 circa 6000 on? I mean, parents, they can request at any time. You can request what is being done. So that's part of the SEN support plan. So by law, the uh, school, they should, if, if the child is on the SEN register and is getting extra support, then you as a, the parent should receive what is called something in writing, which is normally called the SEN support plan or individual educational plan, IEP, which lists all the support all the strategy being used to support a child in a setting. And normally this is reviewed termly. You as a parent, you should have a meeting. Again, all of that is in the policy and the SEND information report. Just also to clarify that the information in the SEND report and SEN policy is based on the law. For that, if you want to find out more information about school duties, I will um, sign post you to IPSI. Website. Okay, so that's the IPSEA. I want to, at this point, just quickly tell a quick story about what happened recently with my son's school. So like you, I'm pretty proactive and I don't mess around when it comes to my son getting the best and getting the support he's entitled to. Um, and there was a bit of a battle recently with the SEND of my son's school, SEND lead, sorry, of my son's school, whereby um, they, because he's achieving in class and, and I guess for the most part, hitting targets, they kind of just forgot about him. There was no um, no plan in place. There was nothing. He was just on a register, This, like you said, this SEND register, um, where they acknowledged he has additional needs, but no real support was put in place. So obviously, me being mm. me, I kicked up a fuss, and I'm like, why are you not putting additional support in? Because there were times when he needs, I can see the struggles at home. And then they put together an ISP, an individual support plan. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I think it's so important that parents, going back to one of your original points or responses, so important that we advocate for our children because they don't, they can't do it. They they don't understand how yeah. they're supposed to support them. But without me fighting for that, I'm not sure my son would have passed his SATs. He's just finished year two, passed his SATs and, you know, achieved what he achieved. And yes, we do a lot mm. of work at home, but the school, I think, if I'm going to be quite blunt, well, they, they were neglecting their duties because... 
I was mm. once told, which I find really despicable, there are children with more intense needs than my Oh, oh, I, I don't like hearing and that. And I appreciate it. Obviously, oh. needs vary. And yes, for the most part, my son yeah. is getting on fine, but it doesn't then diminish the fact he still has needs and he needs Exactly. Support. So for any parent exactly. who's listening who may be going through it's all sad to say maybe about to go through this because you don't know what battles are coming up when you're fighting for a child with additional needs. Um, fight, fight, fight. And do not, fight. Do not let them just kind of brush over your child and say that there are other children who are higher priority because your child is a priority. And I just want to say that. And can I also add something to that? If you fight, I would please strongly recommend do that in writing. Avoid any phone calls. Do that via email. And if you have the support of someone like me in your area, CC that person to any email correspondence so that they can see that there is someone in the background, there is someone supporting you. I can tell you that that makes a huge difference Super important. Okay, so on the subject of EHCPs, when do we need them, Astrid? Because I've been told to this day that my son doesn't need one. And for now, I'm okay with that. But if it changes in the future, I will be fighting for one. So yeah. when when do we need one versus when the school don't need to you know, help support an application? So many children in across the UK have SEN and attend a mainstream school. And the majority, this is a fact, the majority will have their needs met through the SEN support, meaning that under the SEN support funding, some intervention are being put in place, which are reviewed, and the child is making progress. The child is able to, you know, follow the curriculum and do well. So that's fine. So for those cases, then an EHCP is not needed because everything is working well under the SEN support. If a parent has any concern at any time, as you said, because I guess this is your case at the moment for your son, is under the SEN support, everything is working well. But as you said, thing, things can change. So that's why in, if, if you are in that situation, keep up to date with the support. Make sure you have all your review meeting with the SENCO to, about the, the support providing that um, the child is making progress. If at any point there's any concern, then this is when you should be made aware and, you know, maybe more intervention. So that means another level of intervention should be put in place. And let's see what, how it works. So the review, as part of the SCN support, there is a cycle. So it's assess, plan, do, and review. So this is what all those meetings with the Senko update meeting are for, to review only during those meetings, you can, you will be able to, the Senko will be able to say, oh, we've tried that, but it's not really working. So we're going to add more things. We're going to have more intervention. And then if despite all that support, that SCN funding is not enough to meet a child's need, this is when, this is when the EHCP application is more likely to be, to be done. That request can be initiated by either the school on behalf of the child and yourself, the parent, or by the parents directly. So following the receipt of the request and along with all the evidence that would have been submitted with the request, the local authority will then decide if yes or no, they, they agree to assess a child. And the threshold is very low. By uh, In the Children and Family Act, the key section is section 36 in bracket eight. So that section, uh, explained that there are only two criteria that the local authority will need to look at to give their decision as to whether they want to assess a child is the first criteria is the child has or may have SEN. So what, 
What that means is the child doesn't even need a diagnosis, has or may have. Yeah. So that's the first criteria. So if, because I've heard many parents um, saying, oh, I was told that my child doesn't have a diagnosis, so I can't apply. That's wrong. Has or may have. Right. Okay. That's really good that you've cleared that up, actually, because I think that could put you off from the get-go when you yeah. shouldn't do. So that's the first criteria. And the second criteria is about um, the child may need special educational provision to be delivered via through an EHCP. So what that second criteria is means is that this is when you have to demonstrate what is the SEN support. Okay. So that's why it's very important if, if parents want to make um, a request themselves to get evidence from the school about what they provide for support. What I've seen in Croydon, there's a lot of no, no, no to assess, no to assess. But the good news is if you strongly feel that your child should um, get and should be assessed, then I would strongly recommend that you do appeal appeal to the SEND tribunal against a refusal to assess because the the numbers speak for the carers, for the parents. The success rate for a ref, uh, an appeal against a refusal to assess, I think is about 85% for the parents. Wow. Okay, there you have it. If, if you get a rejection, if you're applying for an EHCP for your child and you get a rejection from your local borough, appeal. Appeal. Because... Because what, what the, the judge will do, they will look at the law, the, those two criteria, that's it. And I think, I think what's difficult, Astrid, I watched a programme last night on, I'm not sure if you caught it, um, on ITV, and it was all about hidden disabilities. And a lady made a really, really crucial point on that documentary, which is so true. And it was basically that when you're applying, whether it's for benefits or anything similar, um, for being a carer or for having a, a disability, the person on the other end who receives that form doesn't know you. They don't see you day to day. They don't know your struggles. Mm. They are judging you on a piece of paper. And it's not always mm. fair. It's not mm. always fair. And I think it's similar in this case where you send this form after you've obviously put your heart and soul in, into it and said what your case is. And then someone can just look at it and be like, nah, I don't think this child is a threshold. So always appeal. That is what I'll say. And Astrid is saying yeah. here as day, always appeal. Yeah. Astrid, I'm going to move on to the next question. What are the common struggles you seem to see when it comes to uh, carers? An obvious one for me would be maybe uh, depression because it, it is quite intense. Yes. There were times when I was like, have I got depression? And I, I didn't have depression, but there were, there were dark days. I'll tell you that much, Astrid. And this is when I first um, realized my child had some additional needs and the tantrums and meltdowns that came with his autism. And I yeah. struggled. So is this the kind of common things you see? Yes, yes. So what I found for parents' care is the stress, the being tired, being tired, extremely tired. I am tired. I'm always tired. <laughs> Does that ever end? <laughs> As you mentioned, depression, so the impact, the toll, the toll on your mental health, your emotional well-being, and also your physical health. Because sometimes when, you, when you're tired, you're depressed, you don't, you don't feel like doing nothing. You just, oh. But actually, having some me time, taking that time for you is so important to re recharge your batteries and do something that you, you like for just half an hour, one hour, whether it's exercising, going for a walk, um, having a hot bath with a, a bath bomb, um, anything, that me time is so key. This is 
This sounds obvious, but I'll tell you what, one of the courses I was referred to when my son first got his diagnosis, I can't remember what it was called, but it was obviously put on by the Borough of Croydon. And I think I think it was in association with um, the National Autistic Society. It was brilliant. Um, the, the people who led that course were incredible and I learned so much. But most importantly, you know, when you think, what do I take away? What are the key things I always remember? And one of them was about the importance of self-care and me time. Because it's something you just think, well, obviously, duh, I'm not going to not look after myself. But mm. when you're in the thick of being a parent and carer, you are often the last priority. And it yeah. seems obvious, but no, you overlook yourself so much. And then you can't obviously give what you don't have. So when your energy is completely... Exactly. Depleted, you're done yeah you're done so thank you for reminding us of the importance of that um one of the things that i notice you guys offer at the carers information service you do lots of different classes and you know fun activities for carers to get away and to have some me time so can you go through some of the things you offer at the moment yeah, so we have um health and well-being activities so we have the a dance class but I've heard some African Afrobeats as well. Oh yeah. Some Bollywood. Some it's it's very it's varied really. Okay, nice. We have a choir. So if you like singing and you live in Croydon and you are a carer, join the choir. We have the Carers Cafe. So this is when you can just come in between ten thirty and twelve thirty on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at the moment, and you can mingle with other carers. And that's just nice just to get away, isn't it? Just a bit of a break. Yeah. yeah. We have a mindfulness, which is offered online. Do you know what? Mindfulness is key. And it is relaxing. It's like I find the same feeling I get with doing yoga. You just, you kind of, I think the whole breathing technique thing yeah. just really helps you to just de-stress. Be in connection with your body. Yes. Yes. Listen. Oh, this is amazing. Creative writing is one of the activities that is currently on offer. But if you go on our website, so uh, you will see we have a diary of all the events coming up by month. That includes the EHCP webinar that I offer. Other activities that we offer to our carers are we have advice surgeries. So we've got a benefit surgery. So we do, for example, a benefit check. Over the phone, we offer 30 minutes phone call with a benefit advisor. The example I'm thinking of is the DLA, Disability Living Allowance, which is a non-mean tested benefit, meaning that regardless of your income, of your financial situation, you can claim for it for your child. Do you think a lot of parents are not claiming it through lack of knowledge or pride? Both. I, I would say the, but the majority lack of knowledge because... The majority of parents will think, oh, my son doesn't, my child doesn't have a diagnosis. You don't need a diagnosis. You don't, it's about, because the form is so comprehensive, it's about demonstrating all the extra support a child needs during the day and or during the night. Evidencing the, the, the extra support needed that you, reco- you provide to your child. I remember when I filled in the uh, DLA application form for the first time, I came into uh, the council. It really does force you to reflect on your reality. And what I mean by that is you're going through the motions, you're just getting on with it, being the best parent slash carer you know how to be. But when you put everything down in black and white on that page, it really hits you how much extra work you do do. Because I didn't realise, and it, it sounds silly, but I really didn't clock how much more my husband and I do for um, my son than my daughter who doesn't have any additional needs. And it wasn't until we started listing it down, having to evidence it for the DLA application, that I was like, 
oh, wow, he does need a lot more support than she does. And these things take a lot of energy and a lot more time. Like, she'll do something in a quarter of the time that it will take him. And it's like, I just, it became so normalized. But obviously, you, you don't realize it's actually not the norm. It's because he's got needs. So I do think you're forced to face the reality when you fill in those forms and kind of analyze how much more you do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's an eye-opener, isn't it? It really is. It really, really is. I wanted to ask you as well, so generally across the board, you've spoken about the financial support that carers can receive. You've spoken about, I guess, the uh, emotional support in terms, and um, what's the one I'm looking for? Like all the extra classes you do to help with, it is emotional and well-being, isn't it? What other forms of support are available to uh, people who are caring? So... At the Croydon Care Support Centre, we also have, um, if, if someone cares for um, someone who has a mental health issue, you know, then we have a mental health support. We can refer the carer to um, um, a counsellor to speak to, you know, support information about how to best support someone with mental health, basically. So that's an, another service that we offer. We also have employment advice. So any carer who thinking about, you know, uh, maybe because I know sometimes when you, especially when you're a woman caring for uh, children with SCN, sometimes, sometimes something has to give up. And I know many parents, many mothers who had to give up their career to cater for their, their children with SCN at home. And it's quite tough. And then at some point during your child's education, things improve and then you feel ready to go back, to go back to the, you know, um, to go back to employment. So if you want support to, you know, update your CV or um, support about what's available to uh, upgrade your skills, we have an employment advice we can refer you to. Last week, I saw an article on your website, actually, which was about this new scheme that's being introduced. And it's um, an alert card and passport scheme, which has been launched across London. So at the moment, it's just happening in London, which is aimed at improving how police interact with autistic people. So the way they'll work, they'll be carried by the autistic person so that if they're ever stopped or in a situation, an altercation with the police, the police can see this card and read information about how to best interact with this autistic person. I think it's incredible. I I wanted to ask you what were your thoughts on it, essentially, because I think this is done to kind of, well, this is being introduced, I guess, to try and uh, avoid situations escalating and also to keep in mind the needs of autistic people who may, to anyone who doesn't know about autism, someone who has little understanding and is just trying to do their job, they may present as, they may think they're rude or ignoring them or maybe not answering them when really the person may be struggling to communicate what's going on. So I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, do you know when it's actually starting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that is new, new, new. It's been, because I remember seeing those cards a couple, couple of years ago. I remember hearing about that, yeah. That does show though at the same time, I think, that it's not that widely known. No, it's not. And I think it would be brilliant if it was more out there. So I'll do my best to push that out because it's important. On the same topic as the that uh, card to alert police about someone being on the spectrum, I think there's there's a, there's more and more awareness nowadays. So I don't know if you're aware of the the sunflower um, the lanyards. lanyards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this can also be used to alert people of someone having a need. So 
if you go on the that charity Sunflower Sunflower Lanyard, they've got a website where you can order the lanyard with also the little card. And there's different cards available, like I am autistic, front and back, or, you know, be patient, things like that. So that's something that I think is very good for children, especially, to have. And this lanyard is recognized, for example, in many places. So if, if you go shopping with your, if someone and they have that, you know, staff, they will know about it. They will know that, oh, that person has special needs, so they will know to to be more aware. We first came across those lanyards on a random trip to Dubai because someone had it on at the airport. So then we asked Hmm. what it was about or what it meant and they told us and then we requested one from the, you know, um, airports, they always have like a special assistance desk. Yes, yes, yes. We requested one and every single time we travel there, we get our son to wear one. He doesn't fully understand Hmm. what it's for, but I'll tell you what, I think they're brilliant because firstly, they kind of, not, not always, but a lot of the time, staff are more understanding. So imagine at airports mm. how much queuing you have to do, how much waiting yeah. around. And not yeah. always the case, like I said, but sometimes there's more patience, more understanding. And before we have had a, the chance to kind of bypass queues because people understand that this child may have issues waiting, may struggle yeah. with kind of being patient. Um, so to your point, I think they're brilliant as well. And I think it just helps to raise awareness. And also for... The listeners today, there's a lot also of um, um, kids, kids places that are also aware, more and more aware of the special needs, autism, and they do have specialists like SEN sessions. I'm thinking of Kids Space in Croydon. Oxygen in Croydon. Yeah, Oxygen. I'm thinking of, um, there's another place in Beckenham called Gambado. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, if you look around, they, they sometimes, and also cinema, they have like a, a autism-friendly session where the volume is not too loud, the light is kept on. So more and more places do things to, to make people with autism life better, I would say. And it's nice to see. Okay, they have something like that. At, was it Legoland or Chesington? One of these places I went to last year and they have a room, which is a sensor room. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh yeah, Chesington, Chesington. Oh yeah, then um, the theme parks as well, there's pass, passes where you can jump queues. And also in Croydon, there is, um, I don't know if um, you know about that, Lynn, is the access card. I've heard of it, but I clearly haven't got it. What does it do again? <laughs> so basically the access card is, um, is a card you can apply for, for your child, it's free. You can do it online, and at the end of it, you you get a little card with your child picture on it, and at the bottom, there's different icon icon that says, for example, if your child doesn't has difficulty waiting, you will have the icon for like three little man waiting in a queue. That means, oh, that child has difficulty waiting. Right, I'm with you. There's other icon icon like if the child is in a wheelchair or hearing impairment or visual impairment. There are different little icon that will be added on the card based on the information shared in the application. But then who, in terms of services and, I guess, places to visit, who understands that these cards are going to be... Oh, yeah, so that's... Um, this um, this card is recon- it's a recognised card. Ah, let me apply for it today. I'm going to do that, actually. Yeah. What- so if, if you go... If you just uh, internet search uh, access card Croydon, that's it. And this is something available across the whole of the UK? Yes, yes. Okay. If it's free, then I would say go for it. Always go for it if it's free. 
Because the key is to empower yourself. Knowledge is power. 100%. And one more time for yourself, what's the name of the website for yourself? And if you're not in Croydon, how do we find a similar service for people who aren't living in this borough? The centre is called the Carer Support Centre, but we, we are under the umbrella of the Carer's Information Service. Yeah, so we are in Croydon, we are located in George Street, just opposite George Street uh, tram stop. You can't miss us. There's a big blue sign, uh, blue-greenish sign, Carer Support Centre. We are there. You can um, find us online as well. Carers Support Centre Croydon, all in one word, .org.uk. And you have all the information there, the diary with all the events available for the carers, Croydon carers. And um, yes, every local authority should have a similar service. And if you want to find out about your local one, just uh, internet search, for example, uh, carer support or, or carer support center Merton, for example, you can type that or carer support center Brighton. There will be a, a, a similar organization. And if you are not registered to your local one, do it now. Yeah, the support is, is I, can't, I don't even know what word to use, but it's basically invaluable. The support is crazy invaluable. So thank you so much, Astrid. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a, it was a pleasure sharing information with you and listeners today. So thank you. Thank you for having me. What a queen. If you made it this far, you're a D. What an amazing woman. Again, a massive thank you to Astrid Maccabee, one of the Carer Information Service advice workers over in Croydon. And a massive shout out and big up to all of the people working in that service and similar services around the UK because the work you do is invaluable. The support you give cannot be measured. Honestly, you don't even realise sometimes how much you may save someone when they're maybe at breaking point and don't know where to turn so thank you so so much i'm gonna just quickly go over those all important websites and companies that astrid did mention in terms of signposting one of them was ipsy i-p-s-e-a which stands for independent provider of special education advice that one is one to definitely check out and then there's me learning which is engaging online learning so you can skill up and just get very knowledgeable on different needs and different ways to support children or your child and of course there's Eventbrite to see what local events or webinars are taking place which may well be useful for you and Special Needs Jungle is one Astrid mentioned so the Special Needs Jungle provides parent-centered information news and special needs resources and that one could be found just by giving it a quick google and then the last one is SOS SEN and that's an independent helpline for special education needs so there you have it more and more places and businesses are actually starting to cater to and consider people with differing needs and we love to see it but we still have a long way to go so until we reach full inclusion we don't stop okay we keep advocating we keep making a point we make our voices heard so some final words from me for this episode if you are a carer or you suspect you may well have a child with additional needs which haven't yet been diagnosed 
make Google your best friend. And I know some people say, stay off Google, you'll get yourself into all kinds of trouble, you'll go down a rabbit hole. And yeah, you do sometimes, but equally, there is a wealth of information out there on Google and online in general that I think it's best to skill yourself up with. You don't wanna go into a situation having nothing, knowing nothing because then you're open to do you know what I mean just having the mick taken out of you just know your stuff so make google your best friend research research and guess what research some more to the point where you have a good level of understanding of the terms the acronyms the varying needs the system in my opinion it's only then that you can have true autonomy over your child's prospects and support them the best you can because you know what? Absolutely no one is gonna fight harder for your kids' needs and their rights than you are. If you are struggling, please reach out to someone, whether it's a family member, a friend, and I do appreciate sometimes people don't understand a certain struggle until they are going through it or if they ever go through it themselves. So if you feel like it's not a family or friend, reach out to a professional. You've got the Carers Information Service. You've got many advice workers like Astrid who are there to help and support, so you're not alone. So you're never alone. Although it can feel like it at times, I get that. And reaching out is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanness. And by the way, that is a word. I Googled it, humanness. It sounds wrong, but it actually is a word. Anyway, all that's left to say is take care and may you and your loved ones be blessed, happy and stress-free. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review and share this podcast where possible. You can find me on Instagram at letmummytalk and I'll catch you again very soon. Okay, bye. We hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, keep it to yourself. Always be kind, show some love and get rest.